Well, this episode hits close to home. Uh, welcome back to the Records and Ritz podcast. I'm your host, Matt Norlander. And at heart, I am a Vermont boy. I grew up in many states, but I really went through my, my formative uh, music <laughs> developmental years in South Burlington, Vermont. And so with that, today's topic is the band Fish as a whole, um, which is a, an interesting band in a lot of different ways and has become uh, fairly renowned and respected. It's still, you know, the, the Fish guys can be a kind of targets for easy and, and lazy drive-by jokes uh, from casual music fans, but undeniably this has turned into one of the most influential and, in my opinion, important bands of the past three decades, all things considered. So I'm bringing on uh, a good friend, a colleague of mine at CBS Sports. He's an NFL writer. His name is Will Brinson, and he's an even bigger Fish fan than I am, so he's going to get to really gab and dish some knowledge on this. Will, how are you doing, buddy? What's up, Matt? Uh, good to talk about Fish, because <laughs> no one owns the NFL and Fish beat like me. That is true. Um, and for, it's a scientific fact. I, I, absolutely, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Um, well, let's. Can we quickly hit on the uh, on on why this is? Do you want to run down your your background where NFL and Fish have have crossed paths and and how you become such a such a go to expert in this case? <laughs> yeah, go to expert. Uh, uh, so long story short is uh, you know Fish has a has a uh, song called Wilson, and um, they are. Trey Anastasio is actually a Jets fan, but I don't know how big a Jets fan he is. Um, and, you know, they, they play in Washington a lot. People in Fish like Washington because they, people in Washington like to smoke weed. Um, Sam even drive by shooting my own my own band uh, or at least or at least the fans of, of the band. Um, and, uh, and and so they were up in Washington for a concert to open up a tour. And they'd been talking, kind of like floating it out, the idea of, of 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 the Seahawks embracing Wilson. Their song is, you know, da da Wilson. And um, amazing, amazing. And the, they, right, I know, right? That's the double E major thump or whatever, or E minor thump or whatever it is. Um, <laughs> and uh, and um, and so they they got out there and they played this concert in Washington and Trey, Trey actually it was Trey was playing a solo stop in Washington and mentioned that originally. And then they came back out and the fish was playing it. And he had a Russell Wilson Jersey on and a bunch of people, I, I wouldn't stream it at home, but the couch tour or whatever they, you know, what they call it. A bunch of people started texting me. We're like, dude, like, I'm sure this is in your wheelhouse. So I got online, fired up the stream, wrote about, took some screenshots and wrote about it. It blew up because Fish fans are in, are an insane bunch. You got a ton of Facebook likes, and then Trey tweeted it himself, which was the highlight of my professional career, quite sadly. And um, and and then it came actually to be that NFL Films did a thing on Fish and the Seahawks, and the Seahawks play Wilson in the uh, in in the stadium at Questlink or CenturyLink Field. Pete Carroll loves the song. He's he was yelling like, "Turn it up louder," because it gets people all riled up. And and I think Russell Wilson has uh, shied away as much as humanly possible from any association with Fish. Yeah, which, you know, it's his MO, that's fine. Um, Russell Wilson, if you don't want to be into it, that I'd totally get it. Actually, that song is kind of perfect for a stadium pump-up jam, just the beginning yeah. of it. You know, two hard beats. It's, it's, it's almost like uh, an inverse defense chant, you know? Um, so I think it actually works perfectly, uh, so to speak. My, my interesting, not even interesting, but the, how I crossed – past with fish in terms of my sports writing uh oh the song off fuego right right so 
and I blew my my shot here. So, uh, you know, um, pun intended. Yeah, yeah. So, well, Chris, exactly. Chris Chris Chase, who works for USA Today and for the Win, actually spoke with Trey. Long story short, the song in, in, itself is it's so weird how it even became a song because it's based on an infamous moment that is now more than a decade old when Darius Washington Jr. was a freshman at Memphis in the Conference USA title game, was on the foul line in the closing seconds, and he needed to make foul shots in order to essentially put Memphis into the NCAA tournament, and he did not make them. And it's really one of the more memorable fails in college basketball of the past 15 years or so. And so, you know, nine years after that happens, Fish releases its album Fuego, which came out in June 2014. And that song was based on that incident called The Line. Uh, so I wrote about that and and then but Chris Chase actually talked to Trey about it. So I blew my I was and and I think you and I talked about this off air or when we were trying to get on air. But um, I was supposed to talk to Trey. Right. And um but it was going to be, I was piggybacking. I wasn't doing it for like CBS. I, you know, I mean, I mean, I was like, I was, I was at the Super Bowl in New York. Originally I was under the impression that there was going to be a meeting at Trey's apartment in New York for that, for that Chris Chase story. I knew a guy that was working for USA today and he was like, dude, you can come hang out at Trey's apartment if you want. Whoa. And it totally fell through and ended up with Chris Chase just talking to Trey on the phone. At which point I had no interest in, you know, sitting on a conference <laughs> call with Trey Anastasia. Hey, either way, man. So the purpose of this podcast is to kind of touch on a, a number of things uh, with Fish's legacy. And it's, you know, if you're a huge fan of the band and you're discovering this podcast, you know, two months, six months, two years after it's run, uh, we hope we'll touch on things that you identify with, maybe agree with, maybe want to argue with into your phone. Or if you're kind of into them and you might need a little more gateway, we're going to get into some of that. But I also want to discuss the ongoing legacy uh, of Fish and how it's changed, how it is different now than what it very well could have been 10, 15 years ago. Um, so we can hit on an, a number of those things, but before we do that, and pretty much with every band-specific podcast that this podcast will do, uh, I want the guests to rate the studio discography. Even though Fish is known as a live act, and to a certain degree that's more emphatic with them than almost any other band, uh, I have a tremendous, uh, I put a tremendous amount of importance on band studio discographies because those things are, they're permanent statements, you know, what, what it is when you go into the studio, uh, does and should mean something. So Brinson, I'm going to need you to list off and rank the studio discography for the listeners to, uh, to either mock you or, or nod violently <laughs> in agreement with. So, so how do you do it? And by the way, with fish, in my opinion, and I could be wrong, but to me, there's not really – like with a lot of bands, you'll have a general – There's no order. defining album. There, there is not a defining album, and honestly, like I feel like you can switch up a, like a lot of these albums. What someone might consider second or third best, a lot of people might have second or third worst. So that's why I yeah, think this yeah. is rather intriguing. So go ahead and, uh, and list them off here. And we don't have to include the white tape if you don't want because that's not – I wouldn't consider that official, you know. Wait, wait the, is the the, the white not tape. like not like Junta? You mean no, like no, 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 no. Okay, uh, that that's that's the first. One. Oh, oh, yeah, okay. I know what you're talking about. All right, yeah, so yeah. well, but I, I, I mean, just broadly looking at these, yes, I, I split them into two distinct groups. I, I mean, I rank them in one order because I'm not a, 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 a you know, a rogue podcaster. But I, I, I look at the, I look at, I think you have, and 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 you, if people know, like, 
fish if you don't if you don't if you don't know if you're a fish fan you know this but if you're not a fish fan you don't know fish is considered there's fish 1.0 fish 2.0 and fish fish 3.0 um and it's it's this it's all nerdy crap no but, get it you can we can go down the rabbit hole this is because right but I'm like so yeah no, so I, fish 1.0 is before they went on a break fish 2.0 is in between the two hiatuses and then fish 3.0 is the cur is as of 2015, the current rendition, we assume it'll be the last one they see. Because the, the, the 2015 summer tour, um, I, I think, not like it's the greatest fish tour of all time by any stretch of the imagination, but they're, they're older. They look a little more reflective on their careers. They're, they're having fun out there. They're starting to do some weird jam stuff. That, they're taking you know, one concert at a time. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. Uh, you know, <laughs> cashing those checks. Um, but, I mean, look, like at one point in Merriweather, um, which is the, the closing – uh, two oh, closing two nights of the pre-festival section of the 2015 summer tour. Trey and and um, and Mike Gordon were on their backs doing bicycle kicks in the air, and like that's stuff that you know. I mean, Fish became famous for these insane live shows where they would fly in on a hot dog, or you know, or they would uh, you know, they would engage the crowd and all this stuff. And, and I vacuum think vacuum and jumping on trampolines, just random yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, jumping on trampolines while they play and live improv improv improvisational music. And I think that they are getting closer to where they were in 1.0 than they ever have been, but it, it's likely impossible um, that they'll ever actually get there. Just, you know, I mean, just like in the same way that I will never be as athletic as a 34 year old as I, as I was when I was 27, you know I mean? That's just, it's, it's just the, the nature of the beast, but talking about the errors is kind of stupid. Okay, as well, the, hold on before, before look, we move on for those who might not for, be. So define the errors, generally speaking, what, you know, 1.0 is what 83 till when? Uh, the first hiatus was O2, what, O2 yeah, something like that. Okay. And then, uh, let's, well, I'll probably have to go. Uh, yes, I think, I, I want to say that it was 2000. Uh, yeah, all right, so, okay, yeah, and it, yeah, all right, there you go. They took a 26-month hiatus that began after the 2000 show and ended 815 days later when they returned in 2002. Okay, so, that, so, so 2002 began 2.0. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And so then you have a little section and then you have a break. Um, I don't even remember when the, uh, oh, and then they broke up in 2004. Right. And so, and so, and so shows, then, yeah. yeah. And so then this 3.0 has been going for, for a while now. Okay. Um, I, or, you know, I mean, it's like, they've been playing since like 2010, I guess. I mean, they broke up for, yeah, it for was, yeah, it was a pretty it long was, time. Yeah. It was an extended 09, 2010. So 3.0 is basically the past five or six years. Mm -hmm. And if you, God, I saw, I don't think I saw that. I didn't see it because I think would they come back at Hampton in 09 or something like that. Something um, like that. I didn't, I didn't go see them right when they came back, but I've seen, I've seen them a bunch, probably six times since they've been back six or seven times since they've been back in 3.0. And I've thoroughly, yeah, that's probably about right. Maybe eight or 12. Um, and, uh, and I've been, I've, I've been, I keep remembering shows from that stretch and it's, it's been thoroughly enjoyable um, almost every single time. So, the you can kind of see the differences in the in the 1.0 2.0 3.0 when you look at the discography although i tend to split the discography into two sections and I, I think i think i've got this right but the basically it's like eight albums that are all kind of 1.0 ish and then you have um uh four albums that are 2.0 3.0 ish and and those four albums for me will always be at the back end of this discography when i rank them so which is kind of a, you know it's kind of unfair to those albums. I understand what you're saying. All right, so yeah. go ahead, so go yeah. ahead and list them. All right. So my number one fish album, and 
and I don't, I mean, like, it's fine if people, I, people are going to disagree, and it, I, it'll be interesting. I've got number one, I have Picture of Nectar. Same here, man. Ah, interesting. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's the, you know, you have, like, you have Cavern, uh, all this, like, funky, jazzy stuff. I remember it as the first, when I think back on, because I've, I've, you know, I've been listening to these albums for, you know, I mean, God, 20 years. Um, that's depressing. Um, and I, when I think back on listening to them as a, uh, you know, as a teenager and, 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 and getting into music and, and kind of, you know, figuring out what kind of music I liked, I always liked the jazz and the funk and the upbeat nature of Picture of Nectar. And so that's my number one. And for similar reasons, I actually have Story of the Ghost as number two. Okay. I have Story of the Ghost near the bottom. Uh, really? Yes. That's not too much for me. Um, I have, so I have Picture of Nectar one, probably because... I, whenever, you know, I don't seek to listen to a lot of Fish uh, Studio stuff too often, um, but it's the one I go to more than anything. It, you know, it's got Stash and Tweezer, two of the more uh, coveted, you know, classic live tunes. And in addition to Chalk Dust Torture, um, I personally like Glide Cavern is a big one. Llama is a good opener. Um, so that's my one. Story of the Ghost has never done too much for me personally. Um, um. No, that's fine. But and, no, that's yeah. exactly what I'm talking about, though, because yeah. I I definitely know some fish fans who. Anyway, Llama, Llama, Llama is on um, Picture of Nectar as well. Um, Mango Song, which I love too. I, don't, I mean, I, I, the thing the thing about fish too is that like you might love songs that they play that other people can't stand. Without it, you know. I mean, and and my thing on um, Story of the Ghost, I don't think that if 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 I'm holding it up as a um, as a straight up album against and I, I probably should have thought about this when i was ranking them but if i was holding it up as a straight up album against all the other albums it would be lower but i really like the jazz improvisational funk nature of, of like ghost and birds of a feather mama dance um i kind of like waiting in the velvet sea but but it depends on when you're playing it um uh okay. water and, and i think there's a lot of um a lot of songs that kind of hit on what uh Paige McConnell does really well, and and I'm a big I like like I'm a big Paige guy. Like at the at the last show I saw was 2015 summer tour. Um, Paige came out and did a um oh God, what's the song where he's he's like a he's like a lounge singer and he's like walking around. I can't, uh, lawn it is Lawn Boy, right? Okay, yeah, yeah. And he's walking around and he's singing. I I just like the 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 stupid like lounge, like like yacht rock nature of Story of the Ghost. So that's why I have Story of the Ghost uh, two. And so third, I'm going with Hoist, uh, mainly because I can remember being like getting into Fish for the first time, um, and I think Fish is the, Hoist is probably the most popular album. Like it's, I don't think in terms of Billboard sales, I don't I think, think any, you're right. Yeah. What's What's interesting is I think you're right on that. And again, I'm I enjoy Fish. I'm not. I'm by no means a hardcore fan. When you say most popular Fish album to me. I don't know. It might have been because it was like I was just as I was leaving Vermont. But like to me, Lawn Boy—I mean, not Lawn Boy—Farmhouse uh, is the most popular one. But I think you might be right with Hoist in terms of actual sales. Right. Um, but anyway, continue. No, no. Just like it—it it, it was 1994. You could climb the Billboard charts without being some YouTube sensation. 
um, fish. People were starting to get into fish, and this was a more mainstream album than maybe some of the other ones. I like Julius. Down with Disease is yeah, obviously it's like one of the most accessible fish songs ever in terms of studio recordings. Down with Disease, a- absolutely. And I think Sample in a Jar is there too. Wolfman's Brother. Yep. This is a this is an album that was weird enough that it made fish fans happy, but straightforward enough that that the public could see it. And so for me, I mean, just 1994. I'm 13 years old. You know, you're fairly, um, you know, you're trying to learn about music as a teenager and and get into tunes. And it was sort of a the gateway for for fish. I just remember somebody had the album and I checked it out and um, and uh, and and I liked it. And and after that, there was more fish to be. OK, so that's how you got into because I was going to get into this eventually, but we might as well just touch on it now. Or mm-hmm. down studio records. So basically a friend or or whatnot had hoist and you kind of heard it. And that was your introduction to the band. Well, so in the South, fish exactly and which you're based in. People can tell North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, you can tell. Yeah, you can tell but, um, yeah, exactly. It's not that thick, but yeah, no. North Carolina in 1994. I mean, fish was it, popular, really was, popular. They were just, but they, at that point, they were just kind of starting to spread into that area, right? Just right, right, right. But year or two. Well, and so I went in. I guess so. 1994 would have been. I mean, if I'm 13, that's like eight, seventh or eighth grade. Is that right? Seven, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, and I think in either eighth or ninth grade, I went to my first widespread panic show with my aunt and uncle who took me when I was down in Jacksonville, Florida. And it was like, I came back and it was, I mean, it was like, I, I mean, not like I was like the coolest kid on the block, but I showed up to school and I was like, yeah, no big deal. I went down to Thanksgiving, went to a widespread show. Um, and nobody, nobody our age had been because our parents wouldn't let us go to the, you know, when you couldn't go to their shows yet. Um, it was like at a, at a, at a um, cover it was like this old like a like redone warehouse down in jacksonville it was, it was just a, an amazing show and that that sort of catapulted me into the kind of jam band scene there were i mean you know fish and panic were massive in the mid 90s to you know to mid to late 90s especially down south um i mean you know fish is big everywhere but you know fish and widespread were huge you know th- that was the those were the events you were going to in the summer in the late '90s. Is you were you wanted you were going to Raleigh or you were going to Charlotte and you wanted to go see widespread or f- and fish and you know then maybe the whatever the skeletons the Almond Brothers were dragging out um, at that point in time. But you know that that those are the big shows and and so that it just kind of you know after seeing widespread like that and hearing some you know hearing the fish albums. I, I remember eighth grade Mrs. Bowie's ironically Mrs. Bowie um, her her biology class. I remember trading um, with uh, with a girl actually, uh, who's one of my good friends still. Um, I had a live one, Fish, and she had a widespread album, and we swapped CDs because she hadn't heard a live one, and I hadn't. Or I, I can't remember like why I hadn't heard the. I didn't own the Panic album or something like that. But I mean, these were like those bands were huge with the guys, with the people who in our high school who were like seniors and juniors and, you know, sort of a trickle down effect where they became, uh, you know, very, very popular bands for, for those of us who were, you know, younger in high school at the time. And it has kind of prevailed for 20 years. Interesting. Um, okay. So you've got Nectar one story of the ghost two, hoist three. Uh, I've got rift. I've got rift four. Okay. Um, and I'll throw, I'll go ahead and mention my fifth too. Rift and Lawn Boy are four and five. I think that if you were asking a lot of fish fans, these would probably be higher. Yeah. I mean, possibly. I think it varies. That's what I'm saying. I don't think that, like, I would say if you went broad, um, I think Rift and Nectar are the only 
two that would be generally speaking top four, and that's not even that consistent in my opinion. Okay. No, um, that, that... And you, uh, yeah, exactly. So, and like well, I know Fish fans that are pretty hardcore that like swear Billy Breeze is their best album, and neither of us have that in our top four. Billy Breeze is not their best album. I, I mean, I, so... I, people think that is the, and I I know a few that think that is their most. Uh, accessible and i would disagree with that as well i could i i can i could see accessible i think hoist would be more except but now i'm like regretting having story of the ghost ahead of rift and long boy but that's that's fine um i think when you look at like rift some of the songs were you know a much much slower you know like you know fast enough for you actually this is a good night uh rift is a good night album for me yeah yeah yeah, that's a good call and i the fact that it has the wedge on it the wedge is for whatever reason one of my favorite fish songs ever and they actually played it to open up the second set in raleigh um on this 2015 summer tour and i was very excited about that because i i don't know why i just i'm a i'm a huge fan of the wedge um it just feels like a, a very like chill mid um you know like it's 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 very it I like it when fish is. I love the like the intense like rocking nature of stuff like Chalk Dust Torture and Kill Devil Falls, but the stuff that they do like the Wedge, where it's um, it's like a it's like a very like the whole vibe is just mellow, but the but the the speed the pace is perfect. I like songs like that. Okay, cool. All right. So where do we go from there? Uh, Lawn Boy. Yeah. It's got some pretty massive like live hits on there. Yeah. Reba Reba is an unbelievable live song. Um, split open and melt is fantastic live. Bathtub Gin is one of my favorite live songs as well. Um, bouncing around the room is 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 you like even the, gotten to my favorite live cut on this album, and you're listing off some big ones. Oh, Squirming Coil. No, not even that. Antelope. Oh, Antelope. Antelope. Good lord, yeah. All right, so maybe Lawn Boy should be too on my list. I mean, this is a really <laughs> well, good album. Well, like the thing with Lawn Boy is you like, don't get the live cuts. Is the thing you don't get the live cuts, and it's so it's. It's how you want to approach it because the songs themselves are really strong, but as a studio effort, it's not exceedingly strong. So right. it, it would be my number one Fish Studio album if the live nature of what the songs became was even a little more representative than what they are there. But yeah. even still, it's you know it's it's actually how I discovered Fish way back when, and that that was the other thing, and you know. I, I, I lived in Vermont, like, uh, Picture of Nectar is named after a dude named Nectar, and there was a restaurant called Nectar's, and that's where Fish played, <laughs> and all this, like, the Fish fans know this, but yeah, I no, was I've, around I've, I've, all of this, so I actually, I resisted Fish, uh. in part because they were just everywhere, and actually, I'm, to this day, I'm just a massive uh, DMB fan, because Which... they were they were the alternative to Fish when I grew up. They were not this, I mean, granted, they were, trust me, they were getting, they got mainstream success, and I came in 94 with Under the Table and Dreaming and all that, but uh, DMB was my counter to just like, because I had so many friends that were into Fish, because it, it was just everywhere. Well, uh, do, you know, do you know what the irony of that is? What is the irony? The irony is that I, DMB was everywhere down here because they're from Charlottesville. Exactly. I mean, like, they were the only band. I mean, they were, like, my friends in in high school were upset. Everyone was obsessed with Dave, and I, I shunned Dave on purpose. And yeah, I still... It's just, that's almost the... I wouldn't say yeah. everyone was obsessed with Fish, but I had enough where uh, being in the DMB in a small Vermont high school, 
there were not I did not have a lot of friends that were as that got as into them as, as I did. So uh, yeah. it's interesting how we grew up in similar yet different environments in that respect. Polar opposite, yeah, and it's funny like we I mean, like we would go, you know, we'd be hanging out somewhere and somebody was like, Dude, we gotta put on the Dave and Tim acoustic set. Like, get, <laughs> get out of here with the Dave and Tim. I've got this fish show. Um so that's no, it's just, I could trust me. I could go 30 minutes on the relationship of DMB and Fish, and and they're actually managed by the same guy, the guy who actually built up DMB. Now. I didn't they're, know that. They, yeah, yeah, Corn Capshaw, the guy who basically made DMB what they are in terms of a business sense, now runs Fish and has for many years. Um, and you know the fan bases cross over quite a bit. Sure. Uh, and back in the day, uh, before both bands kind of got too big, you know they played the same venues and guested at each other's shows. I mean, Trey... They're buddies. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Trey and Dave are buddies, although there's kind of, within the DMB community, there's uh, there's kind of some... Maybe it's based in reality, maybe it's based in cynicism, but, you know, with Trey and his, uh, his issues with drugs um, and, you know, Dave and Trey and Dave and Friends had this huge winter tour in 03, and they were just like... The shows were great, but they were both... I mean, wrecked. YouTube... Oh, God, there are YouTube videos where you can see they are just wrecked. Um, so you so, think you think Trey was basically like the bad know, like like the like the bad no, kid? I don't even that know. I, I think they encouraged each other, but Trey hasn't played with DMB since '07 and Saratoga, and some believe um, you know people in Trey's camp, whether it be direct family members or whatever, have have maybe just said let's. Uh, and granted, they're they're much older now and and calmer than they were before, but I think you know at a certain point, um, certain members of the music community might have just not help Trey's issues in that regard, which we'll get to in a second. I, I don't want to get too far off course, but right. let's, let's continue running down your uh, studio discography. And, and you know, it would actually be, you should, you remember like you, I think you, your thing went viral when you did the pick the five musicians. Yes. 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 Uh, that's your, that's your professional highlight. I'm um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> no, uh, actually, you know what? It kind of oddly is. It was, but was there a pick? Did it was, you? It was. I had this graphic because the thing that. But but did you piggyback off someone else's yeah, pick well, five? Everyone was everyone was like, you can start a, an all-time NBA team. Yeah. Twenty-five dollars yeah, yeah. for starting five, and I was like, this would be so much more fun if you did it with musicians in a five-piece band. So I said you had, uh, I guess, twenty-five or thirty bucks, and you know, it was lead yeah. guitarist rhythm lead vocalist and it's wild too because you would be like well this is an easy exercise and then you would get halfway through you'd be like you look at like somebody else who did it you're like your band sucks okay my band is great it got uh ridiculous response because the reason is it's it's a photo that you can easily share on social media and then you can comment with it and so bada bing um and uh, oh the oh i know but the reason i thought of that is we should do for this podcast to help this podcast go viral we should do a Venn diagram of Dave fans, fish fans, and widespread fans in the in the 90s. <laughs> I think that's uh, totally doable, absolutely. Because it's it's basically a concentric circle that is, you know, with like. I feel like there's another. I'm trying to think who else would be. Blues Traveler. Blues Traveler is the one that actually popped into mind. Because Blues Traveler, you know, begat a lot of that with the Horde tour, yeah. uh, and they really. Sure. They really kind of. I've seen uh, Horde. Horde was a fantastic. I mean, like I saw Blues Traveler and Neil Young and John Popper actually lives in Raleigh or Charlotte, I think now. Um, I don't know how well he's doing per se. I think he's doing decent. I don't. I, I think I don't Blues Traveler's still going and they, they still play. Like yeah, up here they played recently. They 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 have a show in Connecticut. Uh, you know, at least once or twice a year. So they they play a decent amount. So I think he's doing all right. 
I'm trying to think who the other is. There, I, th- I think the answer is Blues Traveler. I don't know I think, that there's yeah, someone. If there was the fourth to complete the square, so to speak. Yeah. Um, we there might be people screaming at us, being like, "How could you forget?" I'm trying to think of another band on the scene that traveled well, that had a decent following, that was kind of, you know. Mm-hmm. There's government, there's government mules yeah, but there, were, but I don't think they fit. No, they were a little, they weren't as, like, even though Fish wasn't mainstream, it was still, they had developed enough of a national reputation. Like, it, you had to be playing, like, amphitheaters are close to, or, or like with Blue Traveler, they literally started the Horde tour, and yeah. that went for a good five Black Crows! Eh, they were a little before, and I wouldn't say they were the same... And not circle. as po- and not as poppy. I wouldn't as... say they were the same circle. Yeah. So yeah. That's. That I think was... Blues Traveler's the answer. We can't be, I, I'll be interested to see if we hear different responses. I racking my brain on on bands that I've seen a lot as a, you know, as a kid. I mean, like the only the only other answers that come to mind are the Almond Brothers, and I don't yeah, think they count because I don't know if you know generation. they're from the '70s. Exactly. That's a different generation. And the and further slash the dead slash the, dead, the other yeah ones. and like you know fish and DMB open for the dead in like '95 and that you know before Jerry died and but those aren't it's not the same uh, it's yeah they weren't running in the same circles yeah so Blues Traveler is my tentative answer with um, and and back to back to the discography um, unless you uh, you, no, no, you can all right, tell so hold on we got uh, it's fine no this is fun I I like that we're winding I like this we're we're improving right now we're that's we're right on stage and there's a little bit of noodling going on. But I think the hardcores are still interested enough to see where we take this jam next. So you've got Nectar. Ghost. Can I move? Can I move Ghost back now? I you mean, can like, move I, it, I, absolutely. Okay, I feel like I want to go. See, the, the difficulty is, and you're right. The more I think about Lawn Boy, like I look at the songs on Lawn Boy, and and just reading the list, the, like the 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 Scott, the, you know, the track listing. I think, oh my God, I'm an idiot. How could this not be number one or number two? But then you're right. I think about the album, and and I remember, you know, because there's a vacuum on it. I remember, I remember listening to the like it's never you've never been floored by Lawn Boy in terms of a studio album, right? You, but it's got you know? amazing, like it's to me, it's got the best collections of songwriting done by the band on it. But in terms okay. of studio effort, I just can't put it number one. Okay, so I'm moving Lawn. Can I move Lawn Boy to two, and yeah. then? I'll just flip Longboy and Ghost for, for uh, that feel, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, what's your What's your updated ranking before we move down? All right. So Nectar, Longboy, Hoist, Rift, Ghost. Okay. Okay. Let's run down the rest here. All right. Uh, then I'm going Farmhouse. Okay. And I, it's, it, when you started, you and I started talking about this um, podcast like I don't know, probably months ago, just in terms of doing. A, you asked me if I do a fish show, and I was, and um. And I, I was I was I was running the other day, like like a couple of weeks ago, and I, I've been using Amazon Music, and the only Fish album they have is Farmhouse. And I was really? like, well, yeah, it's it's weird. You're like they just don't have a big collection on there that you can get for you know free as a Prime member or whatever. And I was like, well, I'll listen to that. I was like, I don't think I liked Farmhouse. I remember it coming out um, in two thousand. I think it's two thousand, and I was like, eh. I'm not I'm not really a huge farmhouse fan. I remember it coming, you know, his fish was kind of, you know, fading away on that first breakup. Uh, it's a, you know, poor memories of it. As someone who like, you know, it's, it felt like a cheesy album. But then you go back and look at it, and it's I actually really love all the songs on there. Like "Get Back on the Train," is uh, is an unbelievable. I, I think it, I think it's like it's right up there with the wedge in terms of like, um, just like perfect tempo songs yeah, that i love like, i love when they play yeah it's got a good bop to it to me uh-huh. farmhouse has the second greatest collection of songwriting from fish to lawn boy uh, could, could, now it, i well, remember when it came out there was like okay so in vermont 
heavy things was on the radio and people had an issue with that because they were like, this is way too poppy for fish. Yep. Don't like the yep. direction this is going whatsoever. Um, which I can kind of get like, it's exceedingly simple for a fish tune. There's no doubt about it, but uh, to me, it's well, enjoyable. And, and the, the record in general, I, I have it second behind Nectar. It's my second well, favorite fish record. And I, sorry, I keep like interjecting. Cause Whatever, I, cause what, you, no, what you, what you said was perfect. And it's the, the, the issue was it's almost like a, it's like, so fish divorced right after this. So essentially it, this was, yes, this was, this uh, was their was breakup certain, album. Yeah. I mean, and, well, and well, I, yeah, before the big one came, yes. Right. But I think I think a lot of people probably looked at this album they're like, "Oh my god, this is a pop, it's a crafted pop studio album." And it's a good studio album. It is. And Fish fans are by nature in love with, you know, live albums. That's why Fish isn't cranking out an album every year because right. they don't, you know, because they don't want to it, it doesn't sell well. They they make their they make their bones and they make their living on live tours and you know, I just, I mean, I remember the, the, the poppy nature of Farmhouse, um, of Twist. And now those two songs have uh, changed, have kind of grown. Twist is an incredible live song. Sure. It's turned it like they did a 16 minute jam or 12 minute jam of Twist on a, um, on a live uh, show, I think in Atlanta, maybe in the 2015 tour. And, and it's just, you know, it's kind of a song that's turned into a crowd favorite. Um, it, it, jam bands, People and this happened with widespread and fish. They would debut songs on albums, and people would be like, "Meh, you know, I don't need to see that." And then, and then it would kind of work its way into the live repertoire, and people would like it. Sand and First Tube are incredible. God, I, I love I, First Tube. It is now, uh, yeah. Um, Piper's great, uh, and and back like I said. See again now. I feel like I'm underrating, and I like Bug too. Bug is actually not one that does, he doesn't do do much for me, but uh, but in general, to me. The the songwriting, uh, it's got a sheen to it. There's no doubt about it. Um, but I, listen, I, I think Farmhouse, it j and it's, with me, I kind of ranked it based on how often do I want to go back and listen to this, and Farmhouse is only second to Nectar for me. But you've got Farmhouse at six, right? Yeah, and look, it could it could be higher, too. It, I, the, the problem I've, I've been having, I had ranking these, is that, by and large, I don't listen to these Fish studio albums. You know, like I think if you'd asked me to rank Farmhouse blindly before I went back and listened to it on on that Amazon Music when I was out around running, which I was surprised it was up tempo enough to run, yeah. um, I would probably have put Farmhouse even further down. Now that the more that we talk about it and I think about it, I, I just think it was like I think of when I think of these fish albums, Hoist, you know, it, most of them are going to be when I was younger that I liked better. And then I think I have like the, the parents, you know, parents broke up and. And, and split apart and moved away type of thing with with farmhouse so maybe that's why I'm against it but but I, I don't know I mean okay. at this point I'm I'm just in the middle of like a, a I'm in the middle of drums and I'm I'm lost okay so uh, what's seven? Uh, seven I've got I've got is Billy breeds okay uh it's a good song it's a good album um I think I'm kind of with Trey I'm with Trey the the picture of Mike on the front kind of kind of sucks uh yeah it's not this uh, billy breeze i've got as five it is the record it was basically shoved down my throat by friends of mine when i was young uh, i would probably like it more if it wasn't if it wasn't insisted upon me how great it was as a fish so it came out in 96 and i it means i was in high school um i i bet that was shoved down your throat um so you're like i mean 96 mid high school that's all anybody's playing because it was it was a very popular record 
you know, at the it time. Was, no, and like it's got good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's it's got good stuff. It's got uh, free and character zero are awesome songs. Yeah, Prince I mean, Caspian is fantastic. I love the tone on Prince Caspian on the record. Yeah. I think Trey's tone there is awesome, and his tone in general um, is something. Uh, which is Trey has has done a a great job, and I do want to touch on this before the podcast, and so I won't I won't get too much into it here. But uh, in terms of having a distinguishable guitar tone in general, uh, that's truly his. Few guitarists can really claim to be in a certain area in the room the way Trey has. Um, but yeah, that's good. Um, Waste is a, is a nice, you know, warm little tune overall. Mm-hmm. I mean, in general, if you were gonna be introduced to Fish. It's got, it's got a good rock folk acoustic kind of yeah. Approach it's approachable. It. It's like, approachable. It's definitely approachable. Um, it's it's not the album that I would recommend people listen to first if you want to turn them on to fish. I, what I would, would you? What would your pick would be put, for that? I would give them. I would give them farmhouse. That's that's probably else. right. I and I, you know the, well, no, the other thing too about like a, an album that came out in '96. I mean, I was 15, and when you're 15, you're like, I mean, for, at least for me. Not like I wasn't into, you know, I mean, like you're, you're really starting to hit, I mean, you know, this is, you know, this is like peak, you know, like there's, I mean, Nirvana is happening, Pearl Jam, um, grunge, grunge is going and you've got, you know, kind of as, as a teenager, you're discovering classic rock. And so I think I remember, I remember buying Billy Breeze at, and I, I, I think this is actually true for another album on here, uh, probably, um, it was uh it would have been story of the ghost i remember i remember buying them at the circuit city out by the high point nice. mall uh i mean I, I mean i can i can i can in my head picture being in that store buying certain records at the barnes and noble absolutely yeah and um and and i and but i think that billy breeze was probably obscured a little bit by coming out when i was 15 which you know i mean look at that time it was a pretty i mean that's a that's a that's like the height of musical exploration right basically the ages between 15 and 18 uh, when you're in high school, it's when you, like, I feel like college, you can really expand. This is all general, but, uh, for me, at least college was when I really started to like intentionally hunt down other music, but from 15 to 18 is when, you know, you go home, you lock yourself in your room and like, you have usually two, three, maybe four bands that you like absolutely just fall down the rabbit hole with and dedicate yourself to, um, so. It was also also remember it was different in because I mean you're 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 eighty you know you were born in eighty one too right yes, I mean I it's was. in ninety six yeah. this is pre Napster this is so I mean honestly it's if anyone that is listening to this is like twenty two or twenty or twenty four <laughs> like it meant something to watch one hundred and twenty minutes on MTV it meant something to catch a video or two that you really liked. Um, because a lot of that was the way you accessed it. I mean, I made, I listened to the radio and I made mixed tapes with actual, you know, cassettes. It was a very different time. So you didn't have access to a whole bunch of music and we didn't like, you know, we didn't have a ton of money, so we couldn't even go down and blow a hundred, a hundred bucks on music. Oh my God. It wasn't an option. You you saved up and you're like, I can buy one CD over the next three weeks. And so you, or something like that. So yeah, a a massive, like life altering purchase was the Led Zeppelin box set. The, you know, I mean, (laughs) like if you, if you, if you had that, your friends were like, dude, can I come over and listen? Exactly. Or Or you just relied on your parents' CD collection, which I did to a certain extent. And it's how I hate the Eagles. But anyway, I, but what was your, what was your, what's the one room? I have one specific band. I remember that I, I was not surprised that my parents listened to, but like I found it and I was like, eh, you know, it's okay. And they're, I mean, it's, the band was Chicago. 
Oh, um, okay. In terms of like, you ended up liking it more than you thought you would because your parents owned it, kind of deal. Well, actually, no. I liked um, like my dad had the band and Bob. He had a bunch of like Bob Dylan and the band and Chris Christopherson and stuff like that, and I loved it. Um, I found Chicago, and I was like. Eh. If I really like that, but now I like it, which probably tells you that I'm old again. You know, I don't know. it's think. weird. There were, there were uh, what my parents would have listened to that I, you know, actually, you know what I have to admit is it was probably my mom was huge in Elton John, ah. and I didn't give him a fair shot at first. And like, there's plenty of hit and or miss, but I would sure. say that, and maybe some blood, sweat, and tears. Yeah, yeah uh, that's... that like I was like really surprised by how much I liked it. Uh, I think I think more than anything, um, parenting. Not to I mean not to go off on a weird tangent, but I, I remember my dad was trying to. It's so funny because, you know, you're 15 and your your dad, who is wildly uncool when you're 15, no matter no matter how cool your dad may be in real life or how uncool he may be, trying to explain to me that the dire straits are awesome. And I'm like, I'm not having that dad, even yeah. though the dire, the dire straits are awesome. They are absolutely. And I can't wait to try and tell my children that Steely Dan is not to be messed around with and them not to listen. And then them to turn 27 years old and realize you got, wait, are you saying you don't like Steely no, Dan? No, I'm saying you got to like Steely Dan. I love I think Steely. it's impossible, not impossible, but really what 16 year old kid wants to get into the Dan. It just doesn't really happen. That's right. That's right. They'd be like, be like, listen, I don't want you to mess with Steely Dan. Until you get to college. Exactly. And at, then at, at the earliest, right? That's right. That's right. So, yeah, Steely Dan is not for high schoolers. Um, okay. So, uh, where uh, where were we? I have no idea. We were on, <laughs> we had Farmhouse and Billy Breeze. What's after that? Which I think is oh, about eight. Yeah. This is another weird one. So, I've got Junta here. And All right. I, which, by the way, uh, is it Junta or Junta? Fish I always said Junta. I, I think it's. I th- okay, so I think it's. But I thought Ray, I thought Rayhan Rondo was raging Rondo for a while. So I mean, like, yeah, don't take my be, word for it. It could be either one. It might be data data, um, but uh, but anyway, yeah, th- it's an interesting should... album. It's their first one um, officially, and it's just you know, if you're like if you're really hardcore, you can find um, the songs are awesome. I don't. I remember Fee being extremely popular because it was, you know, in like what the what did it come out in like ninety two for the for, you know for the CD and and oh, yeah, uh, it was, yeah yeah it was recorded in the late eighties but it was released yeah. later yes and 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 basically Fee was like the popular song that you could play with like 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 girls would listen to Fee to you know because you're at that point in time like you're you know you're trying to hang out with girls like you're not you know. Um, girls would listen to Fee. I think that if you, I don't know, it always felt like a, it always felt like a black and white cartoon to me. Right. Which is, yeah. Which is kind of like, cause the album cover is black and white in general. Sure. That's but probably it's why. It's got, listen, it's got you enjoy myself, which is honestly a, a classic. Uh, yep. And it's got divided guy and David Bowie, uh, on it as well. So there are, there are big time songs on it. Um, they but, created an album with, four songs on one on the first disc that are more than nine minutes long if you did that today it would be the worst selling album of all time you just it's it was yeah but this was vermont and you know got to think about when they made it where they made it this was who they were uh just a different time overall so this yeah junta junta however you want to pronounce it that is among the last studio records i'd recommend because you probably need to like be fully on board and dedicated before you embrace that one. And my and, 
And at, at a certain point, instead of buying Junta or Junta for $9.99 on iTunes, just go buy a, like a live album. Right. You know, because you're going to get the same songs and you get better They're energy. Be better. You get, yeah, it's going to be more yeah. crafted. Yeah. For sure. And that's, yeah. And I think that 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 has a, uh, a lot of bearing on it. So that's why it was kind of pushed down on mine. Uh, next, I have Joy. Okay. No. Which is, by the way, uh, so before we, I had not, I think I'd listened to Joy twice uh, when it first came out. I don't think I'd listened to it since. And before we did this podcast, only Joy and Undermind were the only records that I went back and I don't even own Undermind. I listened to it on YouTube. Um, but <laughs> those are the only two that I went back and I was like, all right, I need to listen to these again just just to see. Joy is actually better than I thought it was. It's mm-hmm. not it's not bad. It's got some good songwriting on it. Um, I was actually surprised. I, I I remember before listening to it thinking, ah, that wasn't that good. I gotta admit it was better than I thought it would be. Yeah, I I like um I like Kill Devil Falls a lot. I, I, I'm sure that there are fish fans that don't like it, but it's a it's basically Chalk Dust Torture 2.0, and I, I enjoy it. Um, Stealing Time from the Faulty Plan is is a cool song. Sugar Shack is a very different and fun song. I like Ocelot. I, I think saw, Ocelot's my favorite song on the record. Okay, I can go down with that. Backwards Down the Number Line um, is like is the cheesiest song and yet it's grown on me like a lot of yeah, cheesy yeah, fish fine. song yeah it's, it's fine i don't like light i don't care for light um time turns elastic is a cool song too though uh that one doesn't do much okay do too much for me all right so that means we're down to round room uh undermine and fuego that's it is that all yes that's okay that's so what right. order you got them in i got a uh, fuego round room and undermine okay um I'm going to run you down mine real quick here. So our yeah. final two are the same. Round Room is my second uh, from the bottom. Undermine is my bottom. Round Room, you know, I think it was recorded in three or four days. You can kind of tell. I just don't really dig it. Um, I 46 Days is an awesome song. 46 Days is good, and I love the guitar part for uh, Pebbles and Marbles. Um, and I like Mexican Cousin as well. But overall, I don't really dig it. Uh, Undermine, that, you know, the, the record cover... I don't know if it was unintentional, subconscious, intentional, but there. This was Undermine came out I think after they announced the breakup in '04. It might have been before, might have been after. The Fish Hardcore's listening will obviously be screaming that they know exactly. When the it last happened. album before their breakup in fall 2004, according to Wiki. Yeah. So anyway, but the cover is very Let It Be-ish. Oh yeah. So there was that that element going on. Here's how I rank them. I go Nectar. Farmhouse, Lawn Boy. I go Fuego fourth. I think Waiting All Night is the best melody vocally the band has ever written. I think it's gorgeous. I like a lot of the record. They um, actually played that in Raleigh, and it's a it's a very very good live song as well. I think honestly, I, I think uh, the line is. Hold on, hold on. So uh, wait, write your um, write your. Uh, I'm writing down your list so I can you're see. Writing it, it down. Okay, so I've got Nectar one. Uh huh. Got Farmhouse two. Yeah. Got Lawn Boy 3. Got Fuego 4. Wombat doesn't do too much for me. I haven't heard really any live cuts of Wombat. I don't know. It's a decent... Do you know? Like that's the, That and The Line are the only ones on that album that don't do too much for me. Yeah, like Devotion to a Dream is very good. I remember you and I talked a lot about this album when it came out. I, I mean, I guess like at this point, because 2014, yeah. you know, I mean, it was a, a Fish album that came out and we were both friends yeah. and working at CBS. Um it five 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 is a good song. Yeah, dude, that that song is, I think, criminally underrated by the fan base. There's um, there's 
Winter Queen and Sing Monica are are bad. I I don't think Winter <laughs> I don't think Winter Queen's bad. I can understand why Sing Monica. It doesn't Winter, bother me, but okay, I get what you're saying. They're bad. They're bad. Like live. It sounds Winter Queen sounds okay. yeah, live. But I, I agree with you on an album in the context of it. I'm totally cool with it. There's 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 some. This is a really good out. Al- like a really good album. It's a, listen. It's listen. Here's my here's my thing with Fuego is. Given when it came out in the band's career, like it's better than it should have been, and so maybe yeah. I hold it up in higher esteem than that. Um, but I also think Fuego's awesome, and Waiting All Nights among now among my ten favorite Fist songs. Um, I would go Billy Breeze fifth. I would go June to sixth, Hoist seven, Rift eight. But I gotta say, from Breeze through Rift, so call that five through eight, very interchangeable. Sure. Um, that was very hard. And then I would say draw a line there. I would go Joy. Story of the Ghost, and I would have put Story of the Ghost ahead of it until I listened to Joy again. I was like, I'm sorry, I, I like this record more than Ghost, uh, Round Room, and Undermine. So that's that's how I would uh, organize it. But to wrap this just this part of it up, we would agree that anyone listening that's kind of into Fisher wants to get into it, Farmhouse and Picture of Nectar, Nectar and I would say Hoist is probably the the third one you want to go to. Uh, in terms of just getting into the band overall. Um, okay, uh, real quick, one uh, I, the side legacy with the band is that it has uh, helped birth, in my opinion, the greatest ice cream ever. Yes. I mean, honestly, like it's one of those strange... Well, like, actually, I'm more of a Cherry Garcia guy. Oh, and wow. America, I like American Dream the best out of all the... Wow. Uh, fish food is is the champ, as far as I'm concerned, among ice cream and Ben & Jerry's flavors. And the interesting thing is Ben & Jerry's, you know, they, they roll out, you know, two to four new flavors a year. Yeah. And you, there's, no, you know plenty of uh flavors they have a flavor graveyard up uh up in vermont <laughs> i'm i'm going so vermont on you right now and you oh, can, actually and- fun fact i actually talked to my mom about this last week we made a trip because my parents had some friends that moved back to vermont from high point and we made a trip to go see them after they moved and i have eaten a vermonster before look at you and then, yeah. <laughs> this is we are hitting a serious niche right now but i think it's the right one um <laughs> but but anyway uh my point is that it, it takes a lot for you to to stay alive as a flavor, and it's just a testament to fish food's taste overall that it's been going strong for well over a decade. Um, live show-wise, real quick here, um, you, whether it's released or bootleg, uh, in my opinion, if you were going to listen to fish stuff live, which is what you should be listening to if you want to get into them, um, a live one, which Will mentioned earlier, uh, to me it's kind of you, you – got to get it it's it's from what 94 it's a compilation it's not a show it's it's live cuts mm-hmm. so you get a bunch there um and then they have a they have a, a series called live fish in general and from what i gather and listen opinions can change and vary all over uh, live fish volume one which is from december of 95 and Live Fish Volume 11, which is from November of 97. Those are the two that I gather that are among the most um, legendary in the series. So Yeah, yeah. Is is that 97 from North Carolina? It's not from Greensboro, is it? The 97 one is from Denver, Colorado, actually. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. So, there's, but, um, but in general, there's a really good, there's a really good rally show, too, yeah, that they I mean, did a DVD on. In 97 and 98, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Will, but to me... They seem like those are the peak years for fish, 97 and 98, because they didn't they basically 
they moved their sound into a more of a funk direction and really they they had hit I guess they were approaching as mainstream as they could get pre-farmhouse but still like the fan base was now reaching points where you legitimately it was it was across the country uh people extremely devoted to the band were everywhere and, and following them for 10 15 20 shows on a tour yeah and you got to remember so you know I talked earlier in the show about how you know this you know the, the people who were older than me who were in, in high, high school seniors and stuff um, were big fish fans and they 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 taught like older than us they taught us to be you know big fish and, and j- big jam band fans when we were in you know eighth and ninth grade well by the time we were seniors in night you know or, or as we were going through high school like we were I mean, we were you know we were massively into this band and the people who who you know who were the seniors at the time were in college so this huge following of fish and and all the and widespread and uh, Dave and all these jam bands was you know in 97 was in this zone where you know they all had cars and and could travel to these shows and fish the band so i mean so that that's why the popularity grew the band was also playing its its best stuff i mean they were they were wildly improvisational on stage and i think that you really saw i mean to me that's when like mike gordon sort of became you know trey is and always will be the the face of fish um but i think that mike's base developed into this like to me, he's one of the most underrated bassists ever. I so agree with you. I because think he, he's ridiculously he's, talented and yeah. never listed among some of the great, you know, bass players of the past 20, 30 years. But in, in that stretch, he developed this like funky thumping, not over the top bass, which is really difficult. It's, it's right. very difficult. Diff- without being flashy. In terms yeah. Of- yeah. 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 It's like, it's hard to be a funky bass player and not get, you know, noticed for being a funky bass player or not to overtake a song. I mean, most, most songs that feature funky bass are funky bass songs. And, and suddenly like fish became this, like, you know, and whenever you think about a funky bass song, it's like a three minute, you know, hardcore, you know, I'm terrified to say the word like booty shaker, but, uh, but you know what I mean? Like it's like a a three minute booty shaker. And instead, you know, Mike's up there jamming for 12 minutes at a time doing these funk, you know, going in and out of songs and they wouldn't finish songs that they come back and tease stuff later. And it was, it was just very cool to see this intricate layer. And I think that they hit their peak in 97 and 98. And I mean, like, you know, like Icarus, you can't fly too close to the sun, but 97 and 98 were an incredible time to be in high school um, and, and to be able to, uh, in the summers to go fish, it, that was like, that was the event was mm. fish, show, fish shows and widespread shows in the summer. You could not miss those if you were, um, if you were worth your salt in, in high school. So do you have a particular story, good or bad, I guess, from, from a fish show that you've been to that you feel like it's worth telling right now? Yeah. Um, I've never, I've never had a very bad fish show to be honest. I don't, I don't, that I can remember. I mean, I, I mean, I really don't think I've been to one where where things went wrong. If anything, like, you know, yeah, I, I think they've all been pretty good. Um, is this the is this this is not where I'm listing some of my favorite live shows, right? You can list any live show, any anything you want, man. You can. OK, well, I, I like I really I mean, I you asked me to, I wrote that um, I, I, I wrote this question down. I was like, I haven't ever had a bad concert seeing fish. I've always had a pretty i mean because i don't i don't travel i don't i usually stay within the quadrant fairly you know i don't i yeah. usually stay in north carolina or somewhere nearby right. there's not a ton of traveling involved i'm not um I, the one show that was to me exceptionally awesome uh, my brother and i 
he got an extra ticket to the show and we were both, you know, single and living in the same town. And, um, we flew, we li- I, I was living in Winston. He was living in Greensboro and we flew up and saw fish at Fenway park in Boston, which was, and this was, uh, 2009. Mm. So this is, this is the comeback think, tour. Yeah, exactly. Was that, and, the, I, I'm, see, I'm not well-versed enough. Was that the, their first shows back or had they played? Some I think they did Hampton and then had yeah. like three months off and then, right. think and then right. Fenway was their first show back. And it was, I mean, it was like in terms of uh, the energy level of a crowd and and the excitement and and then seeing uh, Fenway, you know, like it wasn't like it's a, you know it's an incredible place to be in the first place. Um, you know, this hallowed hall of amazing baseball and and purple prose writers and and then all these yeah, like, yeah. hippies are running around smoking weed and and getting weird in Boston. Um, they came out and sang the Star Spangled Banner on the pitcher's mound or home plate, one of the two, uh, we were actually underneath the overhang behind home plate. And so the, and they were out in the outfield for the concert. So the acoustics right. and the actual show were not mind blowing in not, terms of I've seen shows at Fenway. It's not a great, yeah. it's not a great concert venue in general, but in terms but, of the event. Yeah. But the vibe and the, just the, the whole way it went down was, a, was a, just a fantastic experience. And to see them that early in the tour at a weird venue like that, that pro- they probably might not ever play again, um, is, is a bucket list item. Uh, the other two shows that I had, uh, on this list, Raleigh in 97, um, is not actual, I, I don't think, I think 98 is the DVD show Okay. or maybe 97 is the DVD show and 98 is the one I'm thinking of, but it was, um, maybe a, le- a slightly less, uh, heralded show, whatever. It's the opposite one of the DVD from either, it's either 97 or 98. Um, and it was, but there was still another huge thunderstorm. And Trey told this like 10 to 12 minute, I think Colonel Forbin into Mockingbird. And it was just a, it was, it was a wild scene, man. I mean, it was like, like to, to see them at the height of their powers when they were, you know, funking it out and playing in the summer and it's, you know, you're 17 years old and could care less about, you know, anything in at all. And you're outdoors and it's, you know, the summer in North Carolina and it's, you know, raining, um, you know, you know, girls may or may not be, you know, soaked in white tank tops or, you know, what have you. Um, it was, it was, it was a pretty, it was an, it was a pretty amazing concert. And then the other one, I, the other show I really liked was, uh, another one from this fish 3.0 was, uh, rally 2010. They came out and played llama to open, which is something they don't usually do. And then they played roses are free. And you could tell that they, it was like, Oh man, these guys are, these guys are back. Like they're like they're they're which is a Ween song by the way, and recently yeah. uh, Trey urged Ween, Ween to get back together. Yeah, Ween, uh, Ween, which is actually uh, Fish and Ween fans have definitely have a crossover there because Ween is uh, just a I would say incredibly weird, innovative two man Un- group, underrated, yeah, uh, crazy good group. Uh, they dabble in more genres than even Fish. I mean, they did it, a whole it, country album. They did a whole country album, and it was ridiculously amazing. It, have it's, you ever seen them live? I have never seen Ween live. Um, they have been disbanded for, what, four years now as of this podcast recording, I think. And so anyway, Trey so. recently uh, in the summer of 2015 was like, all right, let's 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 get this band back together. Let's, I've actually bought a around. ticket. No, no, I bought a ticket to see the Gene Ween band in September in Raleigh um, of September of 2015. So we'll see. Maybe they'll get back together before then. That would be pretty that cool. That would be incredible. Um, and then they, they also played Time Loves a Hero at that show, Light Up and Leave Me Alone, and close with Boogie on Reggae Woman as an encore. It was just a uh, – there, there was an inc- uh, incredible squirming coil 
at the end of the first set where the whole band left and Paige was out there by himself doing the, um, you know, playing really? piano and jamming out and the yeah. sun setting behind you. Uh, it's it just a, yeah, a really, really cool show. All right. So a few quick hit topics here on fish before we wrap it up. One, um, the nature of a fish show is that they play two live sets. Can you speak to how that benefits them and the fans and the live going experience? It generally speaking is something that a lot of jam slanting bands, uh, do uh, I mentioned? Yeah. I mentioned DMB. They actually, they you know, back DMB played from '91 through '93, and in many cases played two sets, and then they became kind of a, a main act and would play amphitheaters and only do one set. But um, Fish is certainly one uh, that has led the way in that regard. Umphreys McGee, who I think will take the torch from Fish here if they haven't already, in terms of being the next major significant uh, jam band with a dedicated uh, bass and kind of a band that's pretty creative in how it makes distributes and does its live shows and, and does everything with music but in terms of fish and it's and it's two live set approach uh, why do you think it's always remained that way and how do you think it benefits the band well well i think it i mean i think it uh, it uh some of it has to do with the fact that the dead did that you know and and these and the bands before them did it but i for me it there's usually and it depends on where they play but there's usually a night and day delineation you know, there's, you know, you're hanging out and it's sunny out and you're watching this first set. And, um, and a lot of times, you know, night would fall and then all of a, you know, and you wouldn't even realize it. It just gets dark as you're watching this concert. And then all of a sudden it kind of changes the demeanor of the set. Like they can, they can rally. They came out and played no quarter in the second set by Zeppelin. It was, you know, it was just this, wah, 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 you know, which it was, is not a daytime song. No, no, you wouldn't want to see no quarter in the daytime, but like sure. you roses are free in the daytime is a whole different ball game. Um, and, and I think, I think there's some delineation there. Everyone, you need a break. I mean, these, these shows are long. Like if you, you need, you need, you need a 20 minute timeout, 30 minute timeout to go catch your breath, go to the bathroom, uh, vomit in a trash can, get some, get some water, get another beer. Um, that it's always helpful. And then of course the set break, I, fish has changed. theirs a lot. I, I think in recent years, this tour or 2015's tour in particular, they appear to be doing a lot of single song encores and it's something they've done more and more than they used to. It used to be set one, set two, lengthy set break, three songs. Uh, and now they seem to be doing kind of a, which is more mainstream. I think it just happens when you get older, set one, set two, quick break, one song encore. We've, it's been great. We enjoyed it. I, 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 I used to hate that. I used to like, you know, multiple song encores sure. and, and, but I kind of like the idea of punctuating it with one song, as long as you know, it's coming. Right. Uh, yeah. That's the, that's the tricky part though. It's like, Oh, and I say that and they played two, they play, of course they played two. Um, they played farmhouse and fire by Jimi Hendrix at Raleigh when I saw them. Yeah. It, it's, that's the, you want a band to keep you guessing ultimately. Like if you're really into a band and you're really into their live scene and what they can do live, you want them to keep you yes. guessing and wanting more. And, that's the thing that I appreciate with Fish is that they get their fan base. Um, they, you know, in summer 2015 they held this another festival, uh, which they don't do every year, but they've had what ten or ten of them or so. And this one was called Magna Ball, and you know they basically set up a mini city uh, over the course. Of, they played shows over three days, but you know over the course of a four-day event, basically the place had apparently its own post office, its own <laughs> uh, close-range radio station, and everything, and the links that fish has gone to, to cultivate a fan base in a community, um, well reaches beyond like what the dead kind of established in the seventies and into the eighties. Um, this is like modernized. Oh, it. without a doubt. And, and as I was saying, I think Umphreys will 
evolving even further. Um, and sure, Fish owes a lot to the dead, and I think that's kind of those bands will always be linked. And I don't, you know, from Trey guesting with the Fair Thee Well shows in Chicago and San Francisco, like he's, he, he embraces that, which is also a really good thing because there's certainly a debt owed to the dead, but Fish has certainly created, in my view, it's a standalone legacy and, and a pretty strong one. And the thing that impresses me most about Fish and its fans is, like, I get it. You can, they're the stereotypical fans. That, trust me, they're there, and you kind of just accept them for what they are. Like, sure. It's part of the base. But there are a few other, you know, music fans, they, they, they swim in so many streams. Uh, but if you just look at Fish fans in general, to me, they are more knowledgeable, opening, accepting of so many different kinds of music, partly because Fish has introduced so many different kinds of covers and so many different kinds of styles that when you're into a band, they kind of shoot you down those rabbit holes so you can kind of discover it. And so within that, what I think Fish fans don't get enough credit for, actually, is to be so well-rounded as music fans. They might be diehard about Fish more than any other band, but they know so many genres and are, and are into so many different kinds of music because of what Fish has kind of helped cultivate. No, I think it's spot on. I mean, look, you talk about all the covers they do. Um, and for so long, you know, or they still do it. I mean, for I, I think they did it. They do this Halloween. They played a they would play a different live album. Right. Yeah. Um, that changed when they like, yes, the past two Halloweens have been different because they did that weird like Disney thing in 2014. Yeah. And then 2013, they played Fuego and no one really That's right. knew that it was going to be the album. So but yes, they, you know, dating back to the 90s when. I think the first one, I could be wrong, the first one they might have done was the White Album in like 94, 95. That is, that is correct. And, but they've done the Who's Quadrophenia. So they've done a bunch, and that's a really cool thing to do as well. That, that, you know, Exile, Exile on Main Street may have been the height of all of that. I sure, think. sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So I don't know. It just, I think it's uh, something that's not really given enough credit to both the band and the band's fan base overall. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's something that I think should be with them as, as kind of a – a known factor of, of what this all is all about, aside from, you know, the 25 minute jams and <laughs> the crunchy hippies that follow them around and the long, you know, the long live shows and all that. Um, as we wrap up here, I did want to touch on the long break in 04, because to me, like if Fish had never gotten back together, like I think they've enhanced their legacy in this 3.0 phase. Hugely, um, hugely. In, you know, and they disbanded in large part uh, because, you know, Trey had substance abuse issues. And I think, you know, it came to a head there where he really – they had solo projects as well, so it wasn't like they, they all gave up music to that extent whatsoever. But for them to have reinvented themselves and to have gotten so much energy – because I've got a, a good buddy who's a, who's a Fish fan, and he tells me a lot of those 2000 to 2004 live shows, like, you know, Trey would just be out of it. He'd be missing notes, just like really bad stuff. Like you could tell he was just like on stage. His presence was not what it was in those mid to late 90s shows. Yeah. And so – and apparently, like, you know, the Coventry show in Vermont in 04, that was like the, the going away show. Like, there was a massive storm, and it wasn't pretty, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't good. So it got, it's, cons it's considered like one of the, like, I mean, just a, a mar on the, you know, it was like, yeah. it's like if that's how they went out, this stinks, because that was. And so there's, a, for at least for like the crowd, like that I've always run with, there was a huge, you know, um, not faction it was like widespread versus fish, you know, like, like people would be huge fish fans and people would be huge widespread fans. Um, for a long time, I was, a, I was probably a bigger widespread fan than I was a fish fan. I think that in 04, when they disappeared, that's when, I mean, like, you know, not like widespread was rolling. I mean, you know, Mikey, you know, I mean, but 
I think the widespread fans were like, well, this argument's over. Because, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, your, your Fisher's amazing, but they flamed out. And now it's totally flipped. There's no way you could argue that widespread is um, has a better legacy or is a better band than Fish. And maybe you couldn't argue it in 04. But, I mean, with the way that Fish has come back for five years and played – you know, and sold out and played everywhere and they're lighting it up on stage widespread. The last show I went to was at um, Walnut Creek in Raleigh and we get there and we had lawn tickets. It was my wife's birthday and we walk out on the lawn and they go, actually, uh, you, you guys could go to the seats there. We're, we're, we're closing off the lawn Whoa. because, because they didn't sell enough tickets. And now they play at Red Hat Amphitheater in downtown Raleigh. It's, yeah. it's, it's great that you can go downtown and see them. It's depressing that a band that, you know, once sold out. Well, actually, no, they didn't. I don't even think they did sell out Walnut Creek. Uh, but, you know, they can't draw enough. They can't bring a big enough crowd out to Walnut Creek to, you know, to even have the lawn open. That, you know, but that's just, you know, unfortunately. That's getting old. That's just getting old and no band is guaranteed that kind of stuff. Like Fish is an anomaly in that regard. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, you talk about the community that they, and I'm sorry to keep dragging it out, yeah. but you, you talk about the community that they fostered and that's part of it. I mean, like it was when they came back, People were worried that it wouldn't be very good. People are, you know, huge fish fans are still skeptical, even about this, you know, even, even with this rendition of it, because, you know, it's not 97, it's not you know 98. I mean, but it's not, you know, I mean, I, my, my personal, my, me, my, me and myself say the same thing. You know, it's not, it's, it's a different time. They're older. Uh, they got white hair. They can't, you know, they can't move around like they used to. And, the, you know, it's it's just, it's, it's, they can't do the drugs they need to get, you know, do whatever they do on stage. I mean, it's, it's a different time, but to come back and th- like, it, it was like everybody was waiting for them when they came back and, and went full bore when they, when they returned. All right. So as a recap here, um, if you want to get some live fish stuff to kind of introduce yourself, a live one. Uh, live fish one live fish 11 the bittersweet motel dvd by the way um, i was gonna i was actually i blacked out and forgot to say that if you watch it's a great video it's a great dvd if you watch that i think you get a very keen appreciation of why the band broke up beyond just trey's substance abuse because you see that trey it's like the ultimate stereotype of a rock band becoming popular trey's ego gets too you can tell it's too big and the other band you know they didn't grow they didn't grow proportionally in terms of egos rising. And you could tell that Trey was just too big. You know, he, he wanted to be Trey and not fish and felt or felt that Trey was fish. And I think that's a large part of why they broke up too. Um, songs. I'm just going to list off a few songs here. Uh, a top 10, so to speak in general. Uh, I wouldn't say these are my definitive top 10, but, um, if you're looking for things to just, if you don't want to dive into an album and you want to YouTube live or studio cuts, uh, the song Farmhouse, uh, Bouncing Around the Room. Uh, if, you want a, if you want a good little insight to, uh, I believe I believe Paige wrote the in-law Josie Wales, I, I, but uh, Trey plays on acoustic on Farmhouse. I just think it's a simple, fun little tune. Um, first tube we mentioned, Stash, is a song I think is way better than Tweezer. Tweezer is among the most um, epic fish live tunes, and yes. it just does not do much for me. Uh, really? But I love Stash, yeah. Um, I would say, if I was listing live songs to look that I would take over Tweezer, I would say Mike's, Mike's song, Fluffhead, um, Bathtub Gin, I think is an amazing live song. Harry Hood is, yeah. Harry Hood is fantastic. Uh, you Enjoy Myself, yep. and Reba. And then, if I, uh, I'll stop after this. Chalk Dust Torture in there, for uh-huh. sure. Yep. Uh, Run Like an Antelope. Yep. Um, Possum, Possum, to me, is one of the most fun songs to watch, to see live. Very good. Uh, Bouncing Around the Room is a, is a just uh, it's a fun little boppy D- tune. Diddy. 
It's a ditty. It's a, it's a cool little ditty, which you might know and you might not even realize you know, because, I don't know, it wasn't like it was a radio hit, but it was it was among the three or four songs that Fish would have been known for pre-2000, basically. And it was the it was the um, first song off of, a, off of a live one. And it's they played it at Raleigh, and it's a very it's a sing along. It's a crowd friendly song. So if you're a newbie, you're a noob, as the kids say, uh, bouncing around the room is a good good one to dive into first. Yes, uh, and then waiting all night down with disease are two studio cuts that I think are very embraceable um, that people would like. You want to toss any other uh, song favorite studio or live wise that you would like to point people to here? Uh, Get back on the train to me is a cool song yep. uh, on the studio farmhouse on the studio album farmhouse. Um, and I think you're you're right. Farmhouse is a good intro along with Picture of Nectar. I think I mean I, I'm I'm going to go back and listen to Picture of Nectar after we get done with this. I should have done it before, but I'm I'm curious to see how it holds up um, in my ears now versus in my brain. If that makes sense. Well, you can follow Will on Twitter. He's at Will Brinson, NFL writer extraordinaire, but tweets plenty about uh, other <laughs> things, music included, and. This was this was nice. I mean, this podcast is rolling in at about an uh, hour and fifteen minutes, which is basically if you want to make the fish joke, like three fish teams. So, um, <laughs> so no, man, it's been it's been great. Thanks for hopping on. I appreciate it so much. Anything you wanna you wanna wrap up with here? No, I, this is fantastic. I'm I'm looking forward to uh, listening to the other uh, people that have m- knowledge about um, actual famous bands. <laughs> yeah, well, um, we're in the midst as we're recording this one. I'm in the midst of recording a bunch for the. I guess a big rollout here. So, you know, if you're listening to this one, you'll see other episodes. Uh, it's like it's like serial without a murder. Yeah, I mean, there are there are bands, there are best opening tracks on records all time. There'll be stuff on the vinyl industry. It's basically the the podcast will hit on all sorts of stuff. I'll have musicians, writers, all sorts of different kind of guests here as we roll out. So, thank you so much for listening. You can follow the podcast at Records and Riffs. On Twitter, I am Matt Norlander. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.